This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, you can follow John at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. Today, we're going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights at UFC 207, a card marking the long awaited return of Ronda Rousey. To get things going, John, first off, thanks for joining. Um, how are things going? And uh, I do want to ask right away, uh, since we last spoke at two o or about UFC two o six, what was your biggest takeaway from the Pettis versus Holloway, or anything else from the card? Well, you know, the Pettis Holloway fight kind of went, you know, how I thought it would. I think it's just clear at this point in time that Holloway is just a better fighter than Pettis um, for numerous reasons. But you know, I guess looking back on it, the biggest thing you would have to say that came out of two o six was that. You know, crazy fight between Cub Swanson and Juhu Choi. I guess that would have to be the uh, the highlight. And of course, you have 
Matt, uh, Donald Cerrone's insane, you know, head kick finish of Matt Brown. Um, it was a good card. And I mean, Lando Venata's, you know, knocked John McDessie out cold. So, yeah, I mean, um, start to finish. I mean, they, they re aired it on Fox on Christmas Eve and it averaged, it didn't peak, but it averaged, I saw like 4.7 million viewers. So who knows? Maybe I, we'll yeah. see the UFC doing that more often. Yeah, I think they said it was the highest. I mean, obviously it's a replay, but I think they said it was the highest rated UFC show on event on Fox since um, the first UFC on Fox number one, which is you know years and years ago. So um, you know, it it just proves that people want to you know almost you almost want to say people want to see better action on replay, you know, than they do boring fights live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, people either way, you know, they knew it was a good card and wanted to see it for the first time, or like myself, just wanted to rewatch it. But anyway, UFC 206 is in the books. We're going to look ahead to UFC 207 with a little bit of a DraftKings focus. Let's kick things off with the main event, John. We've got Amanda Nunes coming in at 13 and four. She is the current champion who will be uh, taking on Ronda Rousey, who's been off for about 13 months. R- Rousey, of course, 12 and one, with her only loss being to Holly Holm. This last november two novembers ago really but uh rousey's 8400 on DraftKings, nuna's 8000 on DraftKings. rousey a uh, slight favorite minus 135 nuna's plus 115 dog here how do you see this one playing out john yeah this is really hard um i had a really hard time taking this fight um i guess the whole thing comes down to how much do you think rousey's first loss is going to affect her Obviously, it's never happened before. I, I thought she, I thought it was smart for her to take such a long time away. Um, you know, she'd fought a lot, and even though almost all her fights were short as far as you know length of time in the octagon, um, she, she, I thought it was a good idea that she just got away from the sport um, after her loss to Holly Holm in you know November of 2015. Now, the question is. I would have, and I've said this for a long time, I would have preferred to see Ronda Rousey go to some kind of different camp and get some kind of different training. Um, she's been reluctant to do it. She, you know, she hasn't done it. This to me is not the best matchup for her in her return. Um, she definitely, I think would have been better off facing a grappling based opponent, whether, you know, whether it be Sarah McMahon's wrestling or, um, you know, Misha Tate, you know, before she retired, you know, her submission skills, those kind of fights, I, you know, think she would have been fine. Um, I ended up picking Nunez. And if you would have told me, you know, a year and a half ago that I would have picked Amanda Nunez over Ronda Rousey in any fight under any circumstances, I never would have believed you. Mm-hmm. But Rousey's striking defense looked so bad in the home fight that I'm not sure she's capable of making the necessary adjustments, um, you know, in really just a little over a year now. You, Nunes doesn't have the back pedigree striking background, you know, that someone like Holly Holm did, you know, like a champion kickboxer. But mm-hmm. if you want to say she had more power than Holm, I'd be willing to listen. Yeah, I could buy it, man. I saw I saw Amanda Nunes at uh, UFC 200 upset Misha Tate and really just overwhelm Misha Tate in the first round in all facets of the striking department. She hits hard, and that's no joke. And and I like how you mentioned the camp, John, because Edmund Tar- Tarverdian, uh, the coach there, I, I, I don't 
quite think that uh, he's going to dial up the recipe to lead uh, Rousey to success. I am with you there. The Holly Holm thing, the biggest thing that stands out to me was him basically telling Rousey to go at her and strike with her when she was just getting picked apart on the feet here. So uh, I think Rousey needs to employ a more smart game plan here because she's not going to want to stand and trade with Nunez because that's just a recipe for disaster. If she does win, if Rousey wins, I see it being as more of a withstand the first round judo throw in the second round and kind of work that into a submission i think that's rousey's best path to victory it definitely is i mean and you know if if you told me that you know rousey's going to be able to get her on the ground and grab a hold of her limb you know obviously you know you have to like her chances of winning but what everybody forgets about um you know the rousey holly home fight is that even though the fight lasted you know into a minute a minute into the second round 59 seconds into the second round Rousey was getting her brains beat in from pretty much the opening bell on. Mm-hmm. You know, she was getting, you know, hammered on the feet. Now, Amanda Nunes, the other thing about her is she's very, very strong. So, you know, I don't know if Rousey's going to be able to just grab a hold of her and throw her to the mat like she, you know, did to Alexis Davis and, you know, the McMahon fight and the Katzengano fight. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, the other thing I don't particularly like is this whole route, and you've heard it a lot over the past, you know, few days. It sort of seems like the U.S. is making uh, the U.S. the um, UFC is making exceptions for Rousey as far as her commitments to what she has to do, as far as you know, interviews and open workouts and that kind of stuff. And uh, Dana White said today, I believe, you know, this is a one-time thing. You know, this isn't happening again. You know, I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. But it's, you know, it's it's pretty much, I think she's committed. You know, I think she, she wants to fight now. She looks other, like she's in good shape. You know, she if does, you saw the pictures like, of her in her fight kit, she looks very cut and ready to go. Yeah, she looks ready to go. But, you know, the other thing is, say she loses this fight. You know, if she loses, I really could see, I really, now part of me would say I, I can't see her stepping away you know, off back-to-back losses and, and, you know, going out like that. But on the other hand, you know, she's certainly not, she just certainly doesn't need the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And plenty of other opportunities. Yeah, for she does, opportunities. That's what I mean. She has interests outside the sport. So mm-hmm. she can make a perfectly fine living doing movies and doing commercials or doing whatever it is she wants to do. So mm-hmm. I don't really think she, she doesn't, she doesn't need the money, which you hear even more and more these days about, you know, fighters who just fight, as often as they can because they don't make enough money you know mm-hmm. fighters like rousey and conor mcgregor you know they're not fighting for the money mm-hmm. so and you know she she's dealt she's had um you know appearance she had an appearance at wrestlemania so i'm sure if she was really interested she could get involved with that yep. There's a whole lot of things she could do that don't involve fighting for the ufc and i've heard other but, fighters say before that the moment you're even you know, only 90% in and, and maybe 10% out. The moment you're not 100% in is probably the time when it's start to, starting to call it quits because you need to be 100% going into that octagon mentally. And that's, some, it is. that's and the you question have, mark. You have fighters like, and then you'll see some fighters like, you know, Misha Tate, who at, I think Misha Tate's 29 now, mm-hmm. knows when it's time to step away. And then you'll have other fighters who just, you know, don't know when to quit. So. Yep. I think this is going to be a competitive fight. I, you know, I would yeah, be very exciting. I would be surprised if you know either one rolled over the other one. But you have to, you know, and I like as far as Nunes goes. I like the fact that 
she's flying under the radar here. You know, there's nobody and people have written articles about this, numerous journalists. No one's talking about her. It's it's hard to believe she's the one who's entering the fight as the champion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think that help. I think I really think that's going to help her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we saw from two hundred that she's not going to be uh, she's not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. And that's huge here. The last thing I want to talk about with these two women is the odds to finish on this fight. They are spectacular. The odds of this not going to a decision basically are minus eleven seventy five. I looked at it a couple days ago. It was about not minus nine seventy, but minus eleven seventy five for the uh, the fight uh, not going to a decision, and then an under one and a half rounds even is minus two hundred to minus two twenty five. So what that tells you is there's going to be some finish, whether it's Rousey by submission, maybe Nunes by TKO. But you want to get some piece of this on DraftKings just because of that early knockout possibility. Yeah, you know, it's look, it's we see it all the time, you know, elite athletes when their backs are seemingly up against the wall, they come out and they look their best. So, you know, if Rousey got a quick stoppage, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. But it's nobody has been it's hard to it's like I said, it, it's hard to believe everything that um Amanda Nunes has done. Someone who has come, entered the roster more, you know, more or less as roster death, really. You know, no one really thought much of her when she made her company debut, you know, in August 2013. And she's 6-1 in the company. Misha Tate, Valentino Shevchenko, Sarah McMahon, Jermaine Durandami, who's going to fight for the feather, the inaugural featherweight title at the next pay-per-view. Um, and her lone loss was to Kat Zingano in a fight where, if you remember, she was obliterating Zingano early. And Zingano, um, you know, held on and eventually you know, turn the tide in that fight, but she has a lot of things going for her. Not only does she have a lot of power, you know, she's a good wrestler. She's an underrated, she has more submission skills than she gets credit for. And like I said before, she's very strong. So if, you know, I think if Rousey makes the mistake of thinking she's going to push her up against the fence or throw her to the ground, um, and just, you know, rip her arm off, I don't think that's going to happen. And as always, and I've said this a million times too, I, I look and I value camps and I'm, you know, if it's all things considered, you know, two fighters, blind fighters, where you don't know what, you know, you don't know their names. I'm taking the person who trains with the American top team over the person that trains at the Glendale fight club. Yeah. Very, very excellent point there, John. Let's shift our focus over to another five round championship fight. This comes in the men's bantamweight division. We have Dominic Cruz entering at 22 and one, uh, welcoming the challenger, Cody Garbrandt, who is, uh, He's going to be welcoming Cody Garbrandt, excuse me, to the Octagon. Salaries and Vegas odds both have this one a little bit lopsided towards Cruz. Cruz is 8,700, Garbrandt 7,700. Uh, Cruz is a minus 225 favorite, Garbrandt plus 185. The odds to finish on this are minus 145, so not all that strong. I know you're, uh, you're a big proponent of Dominic Cruz being one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the entire world. Do you think he takes care of business on Friday? Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's at the point where the way this sport is these days, everybody loses eventually. It, you know, it just seems somehow. Mm-hmm. But until, you know, Dominic Cruz and Demetrius Johnson, I'll give you a spoiler right now. I will be picking both of them until they lose. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, it, they both, they just, they, they've are they both have enough of a body of work now that until someone actually, you know, Rick, Rick Flair to be the man, you got to beat the man. Until someone beats them, and somebody will eventually beat both of them, but I, for the life of me, I can't figure out how it's going to happen. 
I don't know who's going to beat this. I don't know how he can beat this guy. Yep. Now, Garbrandt's going to come out swinging. He's, his early knockout power is what got him this far. The excitement that he always brings into the octagon here, and he's not going to back away from any trash talking here. But you think it's just a matter of Cruz being able to out-technique him in a way, being better on the feet to avoid the big shot and gradually pick him apart over the course of five rounds? Yeah, I think it's Cruz's footwork. You know, um, I think Garbrandt's going to, like you said, I think Garbrandt's going to throw these monster shots. And he's going to find that Dominic Cruz isn't standing there. Um, it's there's, you know, I I don't even I Garbrandt's good and he's young, so at age twenty five he has, you know, he has theoretic room for improvement, and you know he's probably a top five bantamweight, and and if not now, you know he'll certainly get there, and I I see how, as far as, like you said, the trash talking, I can see how they think. The UFC thinks this fight makes sense at the time. Um, and, you know, Garbrandt's older than we talked about before, how, got, you know, younger fighters like Paige Van Zandt and Sage Northcutt are kind of being rushed. Yep. Um, you know, I don't think that's the case here. I, I just think Garbrandt is, you know, facing one of, uh, facing a fighter who really, the only thing in the world that's been able to slow the guy down is injuries. Absolutely. So, uh, one thing I do want to say about Dominic Cruz at 8,700, he's not the most expensive favorite on the card. And I think he's a good cash game play if you're looking for a high floor in on DraftKings because he it's a five-round fight. And I'm not so sure I see Cruz getting an early stoppage, but because of the way DraftKings scores things, Cruz will be able to get maybe a couple of takedowns and land enough strikes over the course of a five-round fight to have you a good chance of, of maybe hitting 100 DraftKings points. It's certainly possible. You know, we've said, we've said this before, too. Um, you do not want to fight Dominic Cruz in a five-round fight. You don't want to fight Demetrius Johnson in a five-round fight. Um, you know, Garbrandt, Garbrandt has good cardio, but you're certainly not going to say he has better cardio, you know, than Cruz. So, um, you know, does Garbrandt have the power to land, you know, one big punch that starts a flurry that ends the fight? Sure. But, you know, anybody can get caught with a big punch and lose. So, you know, the, it, it's what I said, you know, when we first started talking this about this fight. Until someone actually beats this guy, uh, you know, I'm picking him. You know, he's had a ton of injury problems, as we've talked about. Um, you know, he, he could his knee could, you know, he's had major knee issues over the years. You know, he, he could go at any time, you know. But until he's been healthy for, you know, about a year and a half now. So knock on wood that, you know, he can keep that up. And, you know, if Garbrandt, you know, pulls the upset, you know, more power to him. But uh, until, just like I said with Demetrius Shots, until someone goes in and, and takes this guy's title, I'm not picking against them. Exactly, and I think the whole staff feels the same way. This is one of the few fights where both you, me, Richard, and Evan, if you check out our staff picks on rotowire.com, it's a clean sweep for Cruz. So we're all feeling pretty confident about that here. Uh, let's move ahead, though. What we were, we were supposed to have here on the pay-per-view card, a heavyweight rematch here between Cain Velasquez and Fabricio Verdum. Of course, Cain Velasquez had to withdraw. He was saying how he couldn't stand more than 10 minutes before the fight. He's, uh, of course, disappointing to see him go. Wishing the best of uh, luck to him because he'll be undergoing surgery here, Cain uh, Velasquez. Uh, so he'll be off. Instead, we get another men's bantamweight matchup between TJ Dillashaw and John Lineker. Dillashaw, a pretty big favorite on paper, minus 250. He's 8,800 on DraftKings compared to 7,400 for Lineker. Do you got Dillashaw on this one, John? I do not by um, 
not by as much as the odds and the salaries indicate. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is a heck of a fight, and I know I know a lot of times um, fights like this get overlooked when you have two title fights on a card. Um, and this, you know, was even supposed to be further down the death chart before the, um, you know, Kane and Verdum fight got canceled, like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is really good. Uh, you know, Lineker's problem was he, he tried to fight a fight and he just couldn't make the weight. Um, you know, he's just too big. He, you know, you put him at bantamweight and you know he looks like a, you know a stone cold killer. Mm-hmm. So I Dillashaw think Shaw has a three inch height advantage if you're doing size, but I mean the reach is exactly the same here and the leg reach very similar as well. Right, and I th- I think I think the pro I think the biggest difference here is if you want to say that Lineker has um, more one punch knockout power, I-, I would probably agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I you don't think- get the name Hands of Stone for nothing. No, but I I think there's going to be a I think TJ is going to have a pretty significant speed advantage. I think he's going to be able to you know get in and out quicker, certainly quicker than Lineker can. Now, um, I think I think Lineker is going to have to, for lack of a better term, outwork Dillashaw to win. Now, I don't think he's going to be able to land with the regularity that TJ does. In which case, the fight, the strikes that he does land are going to have to, you know, going to have to really do damage. Um, I could see this fight going. Certainly, see this fight going the distance, which you know is is you know a little hard to believe with the power that Lineker has and. You know the speed and technique that Dillashaw has, but you know I think I think the winner of this fight gets a title shot, um, yep. especially especially if it's Dillashaw and Cruz with you know the great fight they had the first time. I so, think everyone would love to see that rematch. Oh, absolutely, that would be a great fight, you know, great rematch. But um, you know, this is one of those fights where you know Dillashaw, you know, based on his body of work, deserves to be the favorite. But it's – I think both the odds and the salaries, like I mentioned, are a little bit lopsided. I think – I certainly think Lineker has a better chance of winning than both of those would indicate. And I think this is going to be a close competitive fight. And as we say every time we do this, somewhere along the line you have to pick underdogs. And all things considered, I think Lineker is a good value all the way around. Yeah, 7400 is pretty cheap. Now, the thing with Dillashaw, I actually don't mind fading him in this card because he's $100 more than Dominic Cruz, and I would be much more inclined to use Cruz if I had a pick between Cruz and Dillashaw. And the other thing about that is the outs to finish are plus 160 on this one. So we're looking at a decision in a fight that's probably only three rounds. So I think for a lot of fantasy owners, it's going to come down to picking Cruz and Dillashaw. And in that case, I got to go Cruz every time. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I think I think the fact it's a three round fight certainly favors Lineker more than it favors Dillashaw in the in the sense that mm-hmm. for fifteen minutes, you know, Lineker can kind of let it go. Um, you know, for twenty five minutes, you certainly think TJ TJ would be the better option. So um, you know, it's it should be a really good fight, and I'm sure you'll and I'm sure you'll get the best from both guys knowing. That I'm sure they realize that you know it's more or less not officially, but a title shot is pretty much on the line here. All right, next up we have a welterweight bout between Dong Hyun Kim and Tarek Safferdine here. Uh, this got moved up to the pay per view portion of the card after the Velasquez for Doom fight was scrapped here. Uh, I think UFC brass is thinking that this is going to be maybe a fast paced fight with guys looking for the finish. Uh, Kim comes in as a favorite, eighty five hundred on DraftKings compared to Safferdine's seventy seven hundred dollars salary. Last I checked, odds were about minus one thirty five in favor of Kim, plus one fifteen and. Uh, 
uh, Safferdine being the underdog. Odds to finish plus 130. That's pretty close here. I mean, the salaries are a lot further apart than what the odds would suggest in this one, John. Yeah, you know, they are. And this is this is hard for me. Um, both these guys have red flags for me. Safadine's is that, you know, obviously in his last fight against Rick Story in May, um, he looked terrible. It was Story ended up winning in a unanimous decision. Safadine took a pretty good beating in that fight, and um, he really didn't stand a chance. It was lopsided um, from the beginning. Um, for you, those of you who don't know, um, Safadine was expected to face Matt Brown here. Um, Brown was yanked, you know, he fought Donald Cerrone a couple weeks ago at the pay-per-view and now, um, you know, he gets Kim. So Safadine's coming off a loss and the issue I have with Kim is Kim hasn't fought anyone in the last four and a half years or so. The only fighter Kim's fought who's any, really any good at all, or at least consistent at all was Tyron Woodley. Um, and in that fight he was knocked out in just over a minute. So Kim, while certainly a very good fighter, hasn't really, um, you know, hasn't really faced quality competition. Um, but Kim, you know, in his career, he has a win over Brown. He has a win over TJ Grant, who was, you know, emerging as one of the better fighters in the world before he was effectively forced to retire, you know, due to concussion symptoms. He has a win over Nate Diaz in his, you know, early UFC career. But, you know, I pick Safadine. I certainly think Safadine is a better value, like you mentioned, given the discrepancy in, in salaries between the two men. But I don't love either of these guys. Um, I And I – what did you say the odds to finish were plus 135? Yeah, pl- about plus 130. So, uh, I mean, yeah. it's kind of a coin toss, but not looking like enough of a chance of a knockout to mean you have to get a piece of one of these guys. No, I think if I you would- want one, you take Safadine just because of the salary relief. Yeah, uh, this I would think the odds of finishing of this fight going the distance are considerably better than that. Um, uh, you know, Saf- uh, Kim, excuse me, has nine knockouts over the course of his career. Um, you know, Safadine, believe it or not, and this is really hard to believe, just only has one, one. knockout wow. his entire career. That wow. it's just really difficult to believe. Mm-hmm. So you know, you have two you guys. Hope he racks up points or takedowns then. Yeah, and you know, um, you know, Kim has nine knockouts, but you know he's had twenty six total fights, so it's not a, you know not a gigantic percentage. So this this is um, this is a fight that it's a this is actually a, an underrated fight in the sense mm-hmm. that it's something that I'm, a fight that I'm really looking forward to seeing. But I would kind of I would probably avoid this fight. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this is one where the our staff uh, is split 2-2 two, two on. Uh, I definitely see where you're coming from with Safarine. I, I think i got to take Kim on this one just because, uh, you know, what you said about uh, Safarine only having one knockout. Kim's only three losses in his career are by knockout here. So, But agreed that this is, if you're going to do it on DraftKings, maybe lean towards Safarine a bit. But uh, I, I do agree with your your analysis of fading this fight that's probably good from a daily fantasy perspective here john the final fight on the pay-per-view card is a flyweight matchup here between lewis smolka and ray borg smolka enters at 8300 on DraftKings. borg 7900 this fight got smolka minus 105 borg minus 115 it's as close to a pick as you can get how do you see this one playing out um you know i took smolka um more or less because 
first of all, he has a five inch height advantage and a five inch reach advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, he's five foot nine, so in that division, he's going to have in the flyweight division, he's going to have a considerable advantage in both categories over most anyone he faces. So that's not a surprise. But this is more kind of your classic striker versus grappler. Smolka is going to Smolka's long limbs will give him a considerable advantage in the striking game. And Borg's wrestling ability is going to give him a, you know, would give him a serious advantage as far as takedowns. Now, as we say all the time, you have to at least be able to threaten your opponent on the feet. Because if you have no power and you can't land consistently on the feet, your opponent is going to tailor his game plan to prevent takedowns and you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And Borg, as good as he is and as young as he is, has really shown no ability over the course of his UFC career mm-hmm. to threaten his opponents on the feet in the least. Mm-hmm. To put that in perspective, his significant strikes landed per minute is only 1.3 compared to Smolka, who's landing uh, just under 5 per minute in his UFC career. So, that, I mean, very, very big discre- discrepancy in the striking department. It's huge. And I think if you look at fighters, uh, you know, at least, you know, high, you know, high quality, respectable fighters on the UFC roster, that is probably amongst the least significant strikes per landed that you will ever see. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, that is a disturbingly low number. So, you know, this is, again, one of those fights where if Borg, it's hard for me to advocate taking Borg because any win that he has is almost certainly going to be dull, boring, and go the distance. It's just going to be him racking up takedowns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Borg, his takedown average is 3.74, and Louis Smolka only has about a 35, 36% takedown defense. So from that aspect of it, there's I could see Borg getting, you know, with the increased emphasis on DraftKings scoring, going to grappling, I could see there being a, uh, Borg being in consideration at 7,900, but I don't necessarily like that. I, I, I leaned with you, John, because of the length advantage and the ability to, uh, to rack up more points via significant strikes. So that's why I, I wanted to go Smolka as well. Yeah, you know, the, the whole entire thing is just, uh, again, probably a fight that's good to stay away from. You know, Smolka, at least he has the advantage of, and we say this all the time, being able to, his height and reach advantage will give him an ability to stay away and batter his opponent, while Borg, the only way Borg can connect, because he's so short compared to Smolka, is to be right up against him. So, you know, and also you can always get, you can never count on anyone to get a quick submission or a quick knockout. So if you're playing the odds and as you mentioned, um, uh, Borg has all the takedowns he's racked up over the course of his USC career, but his last fight against Justin Scoggins, he went one out of eight. So, you know, if you're going for eight, nine, 10 takedowns a fight, you're probably going to land a couple of them, mm-hmm. which in turn is going to boost your stats. So. Yep. And I was I was a little bit surprised. This is a good fight, but I was a little surprised that the UFC put this where it did on the card, mm-hmm. only because it, you know we follow them and you know watch every event. But there's still a tendency to. Then the bottom line is, and you'll see this when you see the ratings, and we say all the time that Demetrius Johnson does, even though he's the best pound for pound fighter in the world. People, for some reason, you know, casual fans at least, are just not 
in love with fights, fights involving smaller fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I was I was surprised that they didn't move up Johnny Hendricks and Neil Magny from the FS1 prelim finale. I, I suppose think, they want to boost ratings for that as well. I, that's what I mean. I think they've. Uh, that's what I was just say. I think they've been promoting that fight at that spot for so long. You know, you watch an NFL game on Fox on uh, you know last week, and you see you know three ads for you know Magny and Hendricks. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why they didn't do that. And, um, you know, this this is a good fight, but I find it hard to take Borg, like I said, for no other reason, because any win he racks up is likely to just be takedowns and grinding. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, not a great, not a great, neither guy really, to be honest, a terrific option. All right. Okay, so that's going to wrap things up for the main card there, John. Uh, a little bit more fantasy discussion before we wrap up here. Um First and foremost, a, a DraftKings value play, whether it's someone that we talked about or someone that we didn't. I know we like, for example, we both picked Dillashaw, but I think John Lineker at 7,400 could be a good value play, especially in GPP, especially if he can connect early. Anybody else on your radar jump out as a potential value play? Uh, you know, I think Johnny Hendricks is a pretty good value play. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a year ago, 18 months ago, if you would have told me Johnny Hendricks was an underdog, for, to Neil Magny, I give me a break. I mean, come on. Um, uh, Hendricks has, I believe, gone on record as stating that he would retire if he lost this fight. If he, I think he said that a while ago, but I believe, he, I believe he did say that. I mean, he's lost three of his last four, but they've been very, very tough opponents. Guys like Gastelum, Thompson, and Lawler. Right, and you know, look, Kelvin, uh, Johnny Hendricks is a better fighter than Neil Magny. Okay. Um, Hendricks has obviously, as you know, you know, problems with weight cutting and, you know, all those kind of things. So as we always say, we reserve we reserve judgment until we see these guys on the scale and if they have their act together. But, um, you know, and the other thing is a lot of Hendricks has had problems. I've said this before, had problems in the past with game planning. Hendricks fought Stephen Thompson and decides to get into a kickboxing match with him. I mean, how dumb can you be? You can't, you know, you can't do that. He had four DraftKings points in that fight, if you know if that means anything for it. I mean, that's essentially a guaranteed ticket to a loss in DFS. It, it is, and especially for a guy who we have seen has shown an ability, you know, in the Robbie fights against Robbie Lawler, you know, are a perfect example. An ability, a guy who can take a beating. I mean, yeah, took- Hendricks had 84 DraftKings points in the fight against Lawler, took him down five points, so he, or five times. So even though he lost a five-round decision here, he was still a pretty good value play on DraftKings. Now, give him a fight and one where we think maybe he could be a favorite, well, then who knows what could happen. I agree with you, John. It's, you know, he took, a, he took a beating in both the Robbie Lawler fights. He took a beating in his loss to George St. Pierre. He took a beating in his last fight and in his loss to Kelvin Gastelum. So, you know, I think... I think if Hendricks clamps down and really, you know, commits to the takedown and what made him a successful fighter in the first place, I think he wins this fight. Now, Neil Magny's takedown defense over the course of his UFC career is just over 64%. Not terrible, certainly, but not great. You know, the, you know, elite guys are more in the 80-plus range. So, you know, it's not, not the worst we've ever seen, but certainly not the best. And, you know, I, I think Johnny Hendricks realizes that this is, you know, put up or shut off time. And at age 33, he's not getting any younger. 
and you know the explosiveness and athleticism you know we've seen from him over the years it's not going to get any better so i think he realizes and will recognize that this is you know kind of a last tan type thing and um i think he's a good value play all right john fantasy analysis aside let's look at this card for a fan as a fan for a second here uh is there a fight that you are most excited to watch on on friday you know i just think you know the most fun fight is the one that jumps off the page to me at least is well two the Dillashaw and Cruz uh, excuse me the Cruz and Garbrandt fight because of the difference in styles mm-hmm. Cruz, you know Garbrandt's heavy striking matched up against Cruz's elite footwork and uh, you know I think the other one that's going to be really good uh, I think the Dillashaw Lineker fight's really good you know D- Lineker's power Dillashaw's power but mixed with his speed. So those are, you know, those are the two fights. I'm honestly looking forward to those two fights more than the Rousey-Nunez fight. The Rousey fight's obviously getting a lot of publicity mm-hmm. because of her comeback. But um, I think it's a good card. You know, the card definitely took a hit with, you know, the loss of Velasquez-Verdum fight. But mm-hmm. overall, it's considering some of the weaker cards the U.S. you see has put on, this is pretty good. I think it's kind of, and we've said this before as well. Um, it seems like times in the past when the UFC puts two title fights on a card, they think that's good enough. Yeah, more or less. That's a good way to put it. Just okay to kind of neglect the rest of the card and fill it with garbage fights because, Hey, you know, we're giving people two title fights. You know, why do we have to stack the rest of the card, save them for another event. But even though this has two title fights on it, the depth of this card is pretty good. Even, you know, a couple of the, you know, the early fights, um, the Alex Oliveira Tim Means fight, which is the only fight pass fight I believe now, that's a good fight. Um, Antonio Carlos Jr. has a very good at middleweight, so you can make a case that the depth of this fight is very good. Uh, that the whole card is really good. Yeah, that and uh, the other one I wanted to bring up was the uh, the Garcia and Pyle fight. I mean, that's a minus two hundred five odds to finish, but even more so, the Brandon Thatch Nico Price that's minus three ninety odds to finish. So if you're looking for knockouts on the prelims, you're going to find them. But that, and of course, man, I got I can't wait to see where Rousey's head's at. I mean, the analyst in me is going to pick Nunes, but the fan in me wants Rousey. I just want to see her uh, for the long term success of the of the UFC. So that's what I'm into uh, there. But hey, John. Thanks again for joining me. Uh, I hope you enjoy the fight, and uh, we're going to be back uh, back on for UFC 208 uh, with Holm versus DeRandomy. Pleasure as always, and uh, all of our listeners, remember, Friday, not Saturday. Yep, Friday, so definitely get those lineups in uh, You know, tomorrow. Might as well start tinkering now, guys. All right, well, once again, you can follow John on Twitter at John Litterine. You can follow me at JakeSki52. You can go to rotowire.com slash free for a free 10-day trial to everything we have to offer. That's MMA and everything else on top of that. Once again, folks, thank you for listening. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.